and they let me live in this church free of charge. I remember there was just, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm doing theater at night, I'm living for free, and I had no money. And it was a really, I, I, I don't, I, it was so frustrating because, you know, I, I had a college degree, I, I, got, I, had, I feel like I had some skills, and I, I'm not lazy, and I just had no money, and it was really frustrating. I did uh, Arthas in World of Warcraft. I did uh, uh, Ryu from Ninja Gaiden. Um, so there, I did some, I, there were some iconic characters. We have such an incredible system here in the United States. And I think it's, especially in this day and age, it's just not touted enough how possible things are, you know, really. I mean, if you have, I don't even think I'm that talented, to be honest with you, but I, I have persistence. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 263. Hope y'all are having a great fall and getting ready for uh, Halloween. There's tons of football and soccer and all sorts of activities going on. I think NBA is going to be starting here pretty soon. Got the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs uh, in full swing here. No pun intended, so lots of exciting times. All the kids, uh, at least here in the United States, are all back to school for the most part. At least to my knowledge, maybe there's a couple stragglers or a couple districts that are uh, straggling into October or something. Anyway, this week we have Justin. He's a jack of all trades in a way, but has made his mark as a voiceover artist. He's a net worth of $1.9 million. We get into all sorts of discussions and his journey and how he felt, you know, college educated and he's has no money and really remarkable story on how he kind of landed on his feet and kind of how he found the profession of his dreams, so to speak. Last week we got Joe. He's 32, former attorney, now Navy pilot. He had a net worth of just over $1 million. So without any further delay today, let's get right into the episode with Justin. Justin, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so so my background is uh, I I, live, I was brought up uh, in in a small town in Northern California, pretty middle class upbringing. My parents, uh, you know, they're still together. They're still still live nearby me, um, but they were they were always very uh, very conservative with finances. I, I sometimes thought we were we were poor because we always had like junky cars and a black and white TV. Is I mean, for many many years, but. Um, yeah, I, I lived in a small town there. Grew up there. Went to went to high school and uh, went to community college uh, nearby, and went off to went off to university after that. But one thing I I, I always remember about my uh, childhood though was my my dad never having uh, never having a mortgage. <laughs> it's kind of one of these things that uh, you know you'd always tell us that uh, yeah, there's no mortgage on this house, and I just always kind of that always stuck in my head and I, I didn't really understand that but, uh, but anyway I, I went to uh, I went off to college I uh, got a degree and I then moved back to my hometown and I was kind of not sure what I wanted to do with my life after I had my degree um, so I, I worked at a um, I got a job at a school working under a therapist and I was doing like some some triaging for him like kind of doing a little like in, in, intake paperwork 
And that's where I decided, I, working in the school, I thought, I, I think I'll be a teacher because, you know, I, I really, this is so stupid, but I, I thought teachers had summers off and, you know, that was uh, nine, it would be nine to three and you'd have most of the day to, you know, do what you wanted. And so yeah, I, I went into teaching with all the wrong in, intentions. I, I, I did that. I, you know, so I, I had gone through college. I had no loans at all. I was able to pay for it and also had some money from my uh, grandparents. They were very generous. So I didn't have any loans. I, I, I took a $5,000 uh, loan to, to get through the teaching credential program. So I did that and I, uh, I, I had done a, some student teaching at a school and they were impressed with my, my I guess my demeanor and the, and the way that I, I carried myself. And, and they gave me a job there for a teacher that was going on maternity leave. The job, uh, it didn't go so great. I had worked there for about it was about a five month job, and I would get in really early in the morning, and I would leave really late in the evening. And I remember during the day working, I would just be daydreaming about other jobs I could do or other gigs. I would just be fantasizing about working anywhere but there. When that teacher, when the, when the teacher that I replaced came back, I, I um, there was another position that had opened up, and the school did not hire me. I interviewed for that job, and and I think that. Um, I don't know. There was just something about the way I performed in the real world uh, teaching that just they just didn't want to they didn't want to hire me. And I think it, though it hurt, they, they were right on the money, you know, and then I, I, I got another uh, I had interviewed in another school. I uh, got that job and I really had to sit with myself for a couple of days after I got that. I got hired again and I was just thinking, like, is this what I really want to do? Do I really want to be a career teacher? And um I called the principal back and I said, look, I, I, I'm not going to take the job. Thank you so much. And I ended up moving to uh, Sacramento and I was a uh, substitute teaching and I, I landed a, a part-time job doing adult education. I, I was doing um, theater at night. I was taking theater classes and I was doing shows. And uh, when I was doing one of the shows, this woman that was directing had, uh, she made her living doing voiceover work. And I was really curious about that. She she seemed to be doing all right. She's an actress uh, locally, and uh, she'd done a couple movies. And well, anyway, she had introduced me to this world of voiceover. And she was so generous with her time, and she helped me make a really awesome demo for somebody with no experience. That that kind of, that changed my world, that, that incident. Though it didn't change it immediately, but it, it changed it. At that time, I was uh, I was actually living. My my older sister belonged to this church, and and they needed somebody to um, uh, close the church up at night and put chairs out, put them away. And anyway, they they actually had a house on the property, and they let me live in this church free of charge. I remember there was just you know I'm, I'm teaching, I'm doing theater at night, I'm living for free. And I had no money. And it was a really, I, I, I don't, I, it was so frustrating because, you know, I had a college degree. I, I, got, I, have, I feel like I had some skills. And I, I'm not lazy. And I just had no money. And it was really frustrating. Hmm. And I remember one day I was watching uh, PBS and uh, Susie Orman was on, you know, giving a talk. This is in the late 90s. And um, I'd never heard of, I didn't know who this woman was. And, and, I, and I watched it. I watched the program and I was, I was really enthralled by it. Uh, and I left uh, the, the next day. Instead of going to work, I went to Barnes and Noble and I I, I read her book. And um, I, you know, a lot of that book was about you know respecting money, uh, you know respecting your energy, being 
being more mindful about what you spend your money on and, and just kind of cleaning up your financial life. And uh, I ended up buying that book when I had, because actually I, I couldn't buy it that day when I read it. I didn't have any money, but I did go back and buy it. And uh, I started putting things into practice and, you know, just things started to change. So, Justin, we've gone on this journey a little bit from teacher to substitute teacher to voiceover actor, living in the church no money to pay for the barn, the book of Barnes & Noble. What's your net worth today? Um, it's right around 1.9. Oh, man, what a journey. And how is that broken up? So I have, it's about conservatively, I do shave a little bit off, but it's about uh, 1.2 in real estate and about, yeah, two, about 294 in um, retirement accounts. And then I have uh, it's like 235 in just a brokerage at Schwab. Cash about once. 70. And then I also hold a note. Um, I hold a note on a property that I sold. Uh, and that's about the balance is about 175. I know that's not how you really value notes, but I, that's, that's about, you know, what I got coming. Okay. And in the money that you have in real estate, is that in a primary residence or is that all in, in rentals or what's the breakup there with the 1.2? Okay, so the 1.2 is is over three properties. One of them is a commercial building that I co-own with my brother. One is the uh, the property that we live in, but it's a duplex, so there's a rental attached to that. And the other one is right next door to that, which is also a duplex. So there's two two units. Those, uh, yeah. So that that's about it. But I, I try to be conservative because I, I you know everything's gone up so quickly, and I just it, it's hard to believe where things are, you know, versus five, six, seven years ago. So commercial property, what kind of commercial uh, piece did you have with your brother? So the one that, that we currently own um, is just a, it's just a, it's like a four unit. I, I it's, it, it's not really a strip center, but it's like a four unit commercial building. It's downtown. You know, it's a good little property. Uh, funny enough, my, when I was a kid, my mom owned a danceware store and she uh, she rented one of those little spaces in there uh, in the 80s. So we <laughs> ended up buying that building uh, many years later. Interesting. And then the rental next door to you, what is that cash flow a month for you? So two two of our rental, so two two of the, the small units on each of the property, we do Airbnb. And so uh, the one uh, next door to us includes a full-time rental and the Airbnb, that typically will cash flow conservatively 3000 to 3500 a month depending on the time of year and then our little airbnb behind us it's you know anywhere from 1500 to 2000 a month so that we find that they're pretty lucrative i, I also have a, a side business in property management i manage a few properties in town and it, it, you just you just come out ahead i mean i don't know how to how to any other way to say it it's, it's just been a it's how i'd rather lease something out <laughs> Yeah. It's better than full-time tenants. What's the all-in cash flow then from all the real estate? Uh, let's see. So if we go, and, and again, because it will fluctuate depending on the time of year. So three, four, so rough, roughly between five and 6,000. Okay. So 60 to 72, 60, 70,000. And so all the real estate is paid off, correct? Yes. Yeah. All the, all the real estate is free and clear. It, you know, certainly didn't start out that way. I had, uh, you know, I, I lived in LA. I moved to Texas. I came back to LA. I was working in, in, um, show business doing voiceover. And one of the things I decided when I moved uh, back to LA from Texas was that I didn't want to live in LA anymore. I wanted to, uh, live in the town that I grew up in. So I came up and I started looking around. This was in 20, uh, let's see, 2012. 
And I found a duplex that was just in horrible shape. It was $99,000 and uh, was able to pay cash for that. Um, I had some extra money to, to fix it up. And that's what we did. We spent three months gutting it and making it livable. And then we, um, we, that, we, we were, it was, it was so fast, but we worked like seven days a week because we had really had no place else to live at that point. Yeah. So we had that, we, we put in about $40,000, to get the house uh, up, up to speed. And then we uh, started fixing up the back unit. So we did all that. We cash flowed all that. Didn't take on any debt. But little problem, the uh, house next door, the duplex next door was uh, full of meth addicts. It was people who were, I mean, all, all day, all night, just activity constantly going on. And uh, I remember when I would see the owner come over, I'd say, hey, you know, you ever want to sell that place, let me know. I'd love to buy it. And he just shined me on. And then um, there's a a good neighbor ordinance in our town where people, uh, you know, if there's so many calls for service uh, at a particular address, they start finding the owner. Well, that owner, because anytime stuff, things would happen, we would end up calling because it would be so loud. We would, you know, just make sure that nobody's getting hurt. So the police would come over and, well, they ended up reaching their limit and the city was about to find the owner for subsequent calls for service. And that day the owner called me and said, Hey, I, I, I got to get rid of this thing. So made a deal. I did not have the money that he wanted for that. So we mortgaged our free and clear house for $152,000. And I paid him $152,000 for that, uh, for that duplex. I, we didn't have enough cash on hand to do the renovation. And so we used credit cards, I had a Home Depot loan and uh, it was it was pretty rough because I really hadn't been that far in debt before. So I had uh, it was about, gosh, hundred I had about eighty thousand dollars in credit card and Home Depot debt plus that new hundred and fifty two thousand dollar mortgage. So once we had finished the second duplex, uh, we were in debt. We were in pretty serious debt. And what was the max amount of debt you had at that point? About was it the seventy thousand? Well, it was the eighty thousand in in consumer debt plus the one hundred and fifty two in the mortgage. And you know, I always just add up everything, and to me, that that just seemed like just too much personal personal debt. It was like you know two hundred and thirty thousand. Right. And then how'd you pay? How'd you pay it off? One dollar at a time. It was uh, yeah, we just really. You know, it was about that time where I started really getting into fire blogs and uh, I started reading Dave Ramsey. I started just really getting back to those uh, like those early Susie Orman ideas that were planted in my head from a long time ago. But, yeah, I think, you know, Dave Ramsey was very inspiring to me. And um, we just started just hitting debt hard. We just started basically doing the debt snowball. You know, every dollar that came in, I mean, I. I have the ability sometimes doing voiceover to get uh, decent chunks of money. So you can get anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred to, you know, several thousand dollars, sometimes depending on the job. So I, I would allocate just big chunks. When I when I came into uh, chunks of cash, I would just send it. And so we 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 chopped we chopped it away. And so I would say from 2014 to 2019, 2019 was when I made the last mortgage payment. It was about. It was November, so it was right before the pandemic had started, and uh, pretty glad I did that. It was good time. You paid it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you about the voiceover. You just mentioned it. Number one, how did you get involved in that? And then two, is it? What are we talking like commercials or what type of voiceover? Voicemails. I mean, what are you doing voiceovers for? 
Yeah, so I, I got involved. I started in Sacramento when I, I was doing the, the theater stuff, and I, I had a really great demo. I went to LA, um, thought I would be taking the world by storm voiceover-wise, and nobody was interested whatsoever. But I was very, very persistent. I've always been a very persistent person. I sent that demo out probably every day. And this is back when you were sending tapes. Uh, so I'd be sending tapes out to casting directors and um, you know, uh, casting houses and uh, studios. And then finally, and I did this for with no luck for about two years, I finally got a bite from uh, 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 somebody looking for a, a voice for a Saturn commercial. So I went in, I actually booked that job and then I had no idea. They, they started giving me more and more Saturn commercials. And pretty soon I was doing all the Saturn commercials, Saturn cars. You know, they're not around anymore. But yeah, it was it was crazy because the, the way that works is, you know, th- these were union spots. You get a lot of residuals, especially if you're doing the voice of a, of a brand. And there was money in the mailbox uh, almost every day for about a year. I was, I was doing these for about a year. And uh, it, that that job there completely changed the trajectory of my life. I, I was able to quit my teaching job. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy. So, so how much do you think, Justin, you've made from that? From voiceover? Yeah, any idea? Oh, boy. I mean, easily over a million. Really? Or maybe it's easier to break it down annually. I mean, how much do you make a year from that? So doing voice, okay, yeah, that's a good way. I, I've, I've, I've never, so I, I have, a, I do, I do have an S corp for the voiceover. I've never made less than eighty thousand doing wow. it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. And now, so like, so yes, yeah, so most of the stuff is commercial. When I lived in Los Angeles, I did, I did a couple of animated movies. I did the uh, Ultimate Avengers. Um, there was a, Mar- a Marvel Lionsgate project. There were two movies. I actually starred in that. It was very exciting for me <laughs> and uh i did a lot of uh, video games i did uh, arthas in world of warcraft i did uh, uh ryu from ninja gaiden um so there i did some i there were some iconic characters but yeah mostly i mean the majority of the work i do is 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 either either corporate pieces or or commercials to be on radio or tv stuff you were in swat man i was in swat yes that's right i just googled your name yeah SWAT. You got a whole, you got a whole like thing on IMDb here. Yeah. So just big picture here. Let me read the first sentence of what Justin wrote into us. So he says, uh, I've never worked a nine to five. I have been a teacher, but I primarily made my income from being a voiceover actor and then started doing some real estate investing. I've built, operated and sold a mobile home park, owned a donut shop. I'm a voiceover actor, Airbnb owner, rental property owner, and a teacher on movie sets. I've cobbled together a pretty unconventional life and have been lucky enough to have a prosperous life as a result. Yeah. I just find that amazing. Did you ever think growing up it was going to be this way? Did you want it to be that way? No. I mean, when I was going to college, I was, I think I was pretty square because I I remember I'd come home on the weekends and I'd jog in my parents' neighborhood and I would, I always imagined myself having a government job and driving like a like a Ford sedan. I don't know what the heck that was, but I just, I really, I really thought I would just, I would just be really simple and just like have just a really straightforward career. And, but I think working, being out, I've always had an imagination and I've always had uh, a lot of interests, man, working in a job, it was just really hard for me to focus. Not that I was a bad employee, but my, my, honestly, my mind was just elsewhere a lot. I would think about side gigs or, you know, I'd be, you know, 
thinking about real estate or thinking about anything. I mean, the donut shop, I mean, that, that was something my brother and I, you know, we, we had, um, you know, we'd created this little mobile home park in, in, in outside of Houston. And uh, we had had it at a point where it was kind of running itself. And we were kind of just sitting around one day saying, we love donuts. We should open a donut shop. So we, did, we ended up doing that. It was uh, that, that wasn't a great experience uh, because I felt like it was a job <laughs> because you have to get up so early and, you know, you go to bed early. And uh, it, it quickly felt like a prison. It was too confining for me. So we did in a matter of six months sell that we sold that business. Justin, is your brother wired the same way you are? He, my brother, my brother is uh, very focused uh, nowadays. I, he wasn't always like this, but he himself, I mean, he owns a, a, a roofing company now. He it's extremely successful. They've got major contracts out there. Uh, he's more, so he's created this incredible business, but it is really, it demands a lot of his time. And I'm, I've, I, I just, that's not how I'm wired, I guess. I'm not, I'm not like that. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who would work 80 hours a week on something. So as I say, like, I feel like I've been very lucky with my, on my path. I think there's been a lot of luck and maybe some divine intervention uh, <laughs> more than once. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like I've been very blessed in so many ways uh, because uh, I don't consider myself to be super smart. I'm pretty average. Yeah, I don't know. I feel very lucky. What, what was lucky about your journey? Or what, you, what would you refer to as being this luck? Well, I think I always met people that were willing to help me along the way. And, you know, you can, uh, you know, like people will say, oh, I achieved this, I achieved that. Well, chances are you had some help along the way. You know, from, you know, even my, my, uh, my first teaching job. You know, people liked me when I was there. They, they gave me the shot. Um, I didn't perform that well, and um, you know, they didn't hire me back. But but that was a bit. That was a that was somewhat serendipitous. They they allowed me to. They pretty much just gave me the job. And um, let's see, a voiceover. I mean, I had um, the actress in Sacramento generously give her time to help me get started. When I was in LA, I had done the those Saturn commercials, but I didn't have an agent. And I remember I was recutting a demo at a studio and, and this gentleman said, hey, I, I think you're pretty good. He's all, I'm going to I'm going to take your uh, demo to my agent and see what he says. Uh, that's how I got my first agent, even building the mobile home park. I mean, we had people at in the city of Houston, you know, just clerks who who just kind of guided us and helped us in little things. So maybe it doesn't sound like much, but yeah, I just feel like we've always been we've always had good people and, and a lot of kind people around us. And, you know. Yeah, so I always I always pay it for it. I have people always ask about voiceover, or ask about what we do, and or like our Airbnbs. I can't tell you how many people I've consulted with locally. I should charge, but I don't. But just people, you know, asking how to set up a, a awesome Airbnb, uh, how to be a super host, you know, how to how to get into voiceover. I've had countless conversations with people. I don't. I I, I never hold back. I'm always generous with the info. What did you do for health insurance while you were kind of on this journey where you weren't? working a traditional job well in the um in the late 90s of course i didn't have any health insurance and um around 2000 when i got the um well i, I did i so in for a couple of years i had health insurance through a, the school that i was working for I, I worked for a home school so i didn't have to be in the classroom i could just kind of coordinate homeschool groups i had insurance for a while there uh but i did i i landed insurance through the screen actors guild for many years i i'm losing benefits this month 
So I'll, I'll go back onto the uh, the exchange. But yeah, I the years I didn't make my benefits through the Screen Actors Guild, we just we would just purchase them. Okay. Yeah. So, Justin, you've gone on this unconventional path, and now you're at 1.9 million. Back up several years, you couldn't even buy the Susie Orman book. Where do you go from here at this point? You know, I I want to I want to maintain, and of course, I, I'd like to grow it a little more. I'd like to be I, I would be super happy. I think right around 2.2. I think that's a good 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 spot to be. One of the one of our goals was after we got the uh, other duplex paid off, we wanted to buy another rental. We wanted to keep that train moving. But because we're debt averse and the prices went way up, uh, we've just been in a holding pattern and we're just, I guess, just going to save cash for now. And, you know, I'm not a savvy investor. I, I do, you know, I invest, I, I do invest in individual stocks and mutual funds. I'm, I'm not a index fund person, but yeah, I think I just I, I like to I want to grow my dividend income and eventually, yeah, buy one more one more rental at least. Uh, but I'm not I feel like I'm not as ambitious <laughs> in my thoughts as I was maybe five, six years ago. Interesting. You know? Why why 2.2? Why is that the number? Well, I just figure, the, you know, maybe the value of another small rental, uh, you know, it, let's say if prices come down, which I would love them for them to do. Uh, that's just kind of the number I, I imagine with that next acquisition. That's just kind of where I, I'm assuming real estate values will drop a bit. That's that's where I that's just where I picture it. I don't know. It's just kind of in my head. There's no real science to it. I'm not. I really I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Do you think you get to two point two and it'll turn to two point five at all? Maybe. I you know I I am kind of conservative by nature, so I, I don't know. I mean I don't have like a big thing I want to do. It's not like I, I don't want a boat. I don't want any toys. I, I don't enjoy, I don't have that. My only hobby is, you know, we like to travel and I like to stay in shape. That's kind of, that's kind of what we do. And it doesn't cost that much to, to stay in shape. I don't know. I mean, I, I like to think that I could be content in, 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 but, but the, the reality is I, I guess I'll always do something. I, you know, I always find little gigs or you know, this um, uh, just had an opportunity this year. Uh, in addition to all the things I do, the the studio teaching, which is teaching on movie sets, uh, I hadn't done that for several years. And company called me out of the blue in 2019, wanted to know if I wanted to come back and do a little bit of part time teaching. And I said, great, yeah, I'd love to try that. So uh, I did one job, which is one week on a on a theater production, and uh, then the pandemic hit, and then I didn't do anything. And then uh, 2020. Or 2021 took a small job in Mississippi. Uh, I did a few weeks on a TV show there, and then I did another uh, job in Chicago. And I was that this was actually the biggest studio teaching job I'd ever done. It was actually a four month gig, and I got to balance my property management. I got to balance my my uh, voiceover stuff. So I I took all my equipment to Chicago with me. Was able to set it up. So here I am. I'm I'm doing the teaching on set. My voiceover stuff. I'm taking property management calls. I, it felt a little. It was a little hectic, but um, but I got it all done. So yeah, I don't know. Like if, if projects come my way like that, I, I I I'll probably still take them. So I, I would imagine the net worth would increase. That's kind of a, a long explanation, but. No, it's it's interesting. Let me just ask you, I'm going to push you on something you just said to Jace. You said, I'm not as ambitious in my thoughts as you used to be. Um, I assume you mean that to mean like financially, right? Buying Maybe buying more rental properties or growing the net worth? 
Yes, right. When my, when my brother and I, when, when we start, we built that mobile home park in, in Texas, you know, like I really had thoughts of like, just keeping that going, you know, keep, just keep it, whatever income we made from the mobile home park and all those, you know, the, the, the properties we had there, just keep moving it into to bigger properties and keep doing, but you know, as partners, it, it just didn't work out like that. That's not like he, he wasn't, we just had different ideas. And so at some point I realized, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. So I had to kind of, you know, regroup. Everything was still, we, we still did very well together, but, um, but yeah, I think I was much more ambitious then maybe in the mid two thousands, just thinking, just knowing, yeah, I want I wanted to really grow it. Yeah. How, how does that correlate with your appetite for risk? Are you are you le- are you more risk averse now? Are you willing you know not as willing to take on risk I, and investments? I'm much less risk averse than I was when we, when we had that mobile home park in Texas. You know, my my brother and I we basically found a property that had two commercial buildings and behind it was vacant land. So we we dug the sewer lines, we dug the water lines, we got this thing approved by the city of Houston, and. Um, we were able to put, we got the clearance for people to move their mobile homes in. Well, I we had 22 mobile home lots. We spent a lot of money putting a gate up and making it a really nice little property, but there were no mobile homes on it. Well, then the financial crisis happened and mobile home lending, it's not prime. So, you know, what happened to that, uh, that kind of collapsed and a lot of mobile home manufacturers and dealerships uh, went under. So, we were left with a piece of land that was ready for mobile homes, but nobody was buying mobile homes. So we we had to pivot quickly. So we th- at that time we went and started going through Texas, buying repoed mobile homes, having them brought to the property, set up. We have to fix them up, and then we were renting them out like just regular rentals. So that that's how we got the park filled. It wasn't our vision at all, but um, but there was some leverage on that deal, and that. That scared me, especially when the um, recession happened and suddenly we couldn't get anybody to move a mobile home onto the property. I, I panicked. I actually put the property up for sale, but of course nobody was was interested. So we had to pivot quickly and you know go to Plan B, and that was yeah. to buy mobile homes, put them out there. So yeah, yeah, that that experience made me a lot more. I just realized, and I've come to realize much more as I've gotten older that the debt is risk. There's no way around it. It's, it's just risk. And I know, you know, I know I could buy another property now. I could, I could use leverage. I see how you make money with leverage. I've made money with leverage, but boy, let me tell you when I, when I made the last house payment in 2019, my last mortgage payment, and then the pandemic hit, I felt pretty good. You know, I had no bills, didn't know anybody, anything, no car payment, no credit card debt, you know? And I think like, cause I've made a lot, I've, I've, I've done pretty well, but I've, I've paid off debts with a lot of that cash flow that I had, you know, the last 10 years. And if I had held some debts, I'm sure I could have increased my property ownership and whatnot, but I I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. I I feel really good (laughs) about where we are. You know, it's interesting you say that, Justin, because most of our millionaires, I'm not saying you're in the wrong, right, to each their own, but most of our millionaires, a lot of them, most of them, the majority of them don't even rush to pay off their primary mortgages because the thinking is, hey, it's at two and a half, three percent you know, what's the rush when I can make more of that in the market. But I mean, I think everybody would acknowledge that there's a sense to exactly what you just said, that just that peace of mind matters and means something. Absolutely. And I've, I mean, I've read these debates since I've, 
you know, got into reading fire blogs and, and I, I get it. And intellectually, yeah, it totally makes sense. It's, but, you know, as Dave Ramsey says, you know, a lot of people say it, it just, it feels different. And I, I didn't get that until I think that the pandemic really brought that home because while we were okay financially, things, things slowed down and voiceover slowed down, everything slowed down and there was a lot of uncertainty, but we knew we were going to be just fine, you know? So to me, you know, had I been leveraged and had, had things gone a different way, I mean, what if the government hadn't moved in? I mean, really, there should have been a recession. There should have been some big repercussions. But of course, the government backstopped everything. So we all got lucky for the time being. Yeah. Did you worry about money along the way? Do you still worry about it? I guess I do. I mean, I think it's just part of my upbringing. I, I, uh, my, I, my parents, uh, like I said, my, my, my parents were pretty middle class, but, but uh, you know, my dad would always say, you know, you just, you know, just be careful, be careful how you spend, be careful, you know, how you live. And, and, you know, you don't want to get carried away with things. So, yeah, even though I know, I mean, I can calculate how much money we'll get next month, but I do, I don't know, I guess there's something wired in me that's like, well, you got to keep, you know, you got to, you got to keep working, you got to keep doing something. So I guess that's, yeah, that's, it's always a concern, I guess. I, I don't, I mean, I'm much, much more relaxed about it now versus maybe, you know, five years ago. And that's, too, you know, it's like, it's not fair uh, to my spouse if I'm, you know, too, you know, because we've gone over this before. Like, you know, I've sometimes I'll pressure him to, to maybe get a, a, like a career type job or something like that. But then when I do that, I feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm undervaluing what he brings and, and how much easier he makes our life by doing all these, really just by giving an incredible assist and more than an assist. I know that that's maybe not even giving him enough credit, but just how well things run in our little businesses. It's really because he's in the background doing, doing a lot of things. <laughs> well, Justin, it's a pretty amazing story going from not being able to buy a book to, to getting to 1.9. So before we wrap up, I want to do a, a few rapid fire questions. What's been the, the biggest item you've splurged on outside of, you know, buying these, airbnbs or or maybe even a car oh boy the biggest item that i have splurged on wow i i guess it would be a car we did we did buy a we did buy a new car last year that was about twenty eight thousand, twenty nine. i i really don't i don't have big splurges i mean i i don't skimp on shoes or i mean i, I buy what i want but i don't I really I don't have anything fancy, honestly. Maybe maybe audio equipment, maybe microphones for my voiceover booth. I mean, I do have some. That's a business, man. That's not really a splurge or anything, right? Like, (laughs) it's income generating. It would be it would be vacations. It would be going on trips. You know. What's the most you've spent on a trip? Mm, I think uh, maybe five or six thousand. And where to? Maui. Nice. We we go to Maui every year. That's kind of like our standing standing deal. Okay. So that's, that's Did you fly first deal. class? Uh, not very often, but on occasion, what we'll do, we use that. Uh, if we fly Hawaiian Airlines, you can bid for a first class ticket, and I always do the minimum bid. And every time I've done it, I've always gotten it. So. <laughs> that's good to know. A little tidbit. What, what's the oh, minimum bid? How much is the minimum, Justin? I'm just curious. It's two fifty. So oh, you bid wow. 250 of your whatever you pay and i usually will buy a pretty cheap ticket but yeah so if you add 250 per person and and you get it you get yeah you get your first that's, class that's one way first class or round trip uh that would be one way so that'd be each way yeah so so i uh 
I so you're 700 or 800 in each ticket for first class? It's not bad. I mean, it's not bad at all. No, I mean, because if you try to buy it, like I, I've always priced first class tickets. I mean, especially since having that first experience in first class going to Hawaii, I, you know, I always look at it and I'm like, oh, no, not going to do that. I'll, I'll bid on it. <laughs> so, so it's worth it, but only at a certain value in your mind then. Exactly. Because I mean, it's, it's five hours, you know, I got an iPad, I, I watch movies, I can read. It's, it's, it's not that bad. Okay. Is there anything out there that you do want to splurge on maybe when you get to that 2.2, 2.3 mark? Uh, definitely want to do, I want to do some river cruises in Europe. That's, that's something I do want to do. And I know those are, those are not cheap. So that's something, yeah, I definitely want to do that. And then like, also, I mean, we do, we do give money away too. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to, but we, we didn't touch on that. I mean, we do, you know, we do, we do, we do some giving and we're also involved in the community, you know, as well. So it's not like we're just, uh, libertines. Hey, let me let me throw in here. Sorry to interrupt, Jace. I, I saw in your net worth that you have education saving accounts for your nephews and nieces, and I I just thought that was really cool. Yes, uh, it's funny. Yeah, my my nephew just had a birthday uh, last weekend, and I, I was I remember talking to somebody like I said I've, I've never I've never purchased presents for my nephews, but I've only put money in their accounts. So so they yeah. know about it. Yeah, they do. Every every birthday and every Christmas, I give them a little printout of what they what they've got in these accounts. So yeah, they, they can see it and they're used to it. They know I'm like, Hey, I, I, uh, gave you, I gave you, I put money in your guy. They say, I know uncle, I know uncle Justin, we know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's just like, they're, they, I don't know. You give them a toy or you, you do something like buy something material and it's, you know, it's at a yard sale or it gets thrown out in a couple of years. It's just seems very wasteful. So Justin, just to, to wrap up here, if somebody's just starting out, what piece of advice would you give them to, to get on this journey of financial independence, financial freedom? Uh, I think the advice would be that if you really, really wanted to do something, you can you just have to do it. You have to you have to begin. You have to take action. A little conservatism financially will is beneficial, especially when you're starting out. Be persistent. Just be persistent. I, I really, I believe in the in in what's possible in this country, and I believe that that this is available to to everyone. We have such an incredible system here in the United States, and I think it's especially in this day and age, it's just not touted enough how possible things are. You know, really. I mean, if you have, I don't even think I'm that talented, to be honest with you, but I, I have persistence and um, I have, you know, I try to move with grace and humility and just keep moving. Well, it's pretty remarkable, Justin. Net worth of 1.9 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. And I, I keep up the good work. I, I love this show and I think it's so valuable. I, I'm so happy that it's out there in the ether and in the airwaves. So thank you. No, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.